0: Good morning, please open your Bibles to the 24th and final chapter of Luke. You'll find the uh, notes of this morning's message in the bulletin. The text is written on the back of the notes in case you don't have a Bible with you. And this morning I'd like to begin by reading our passage. We'll be taking our second look at Luke's Great Commission, verses 44 to 49 this morning. As we look at the proclamation in his name to all nations, let's begin by reading Luke 24, verses 44 to 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things, and behold, I am sending the, the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Lord God, as we study uh, this most crucial passage, understanding the entire Old Testament's teaching about the Messiah, that he would suffer, that he would rise, and that a message in his name would be proclaimed, we help that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might um, help fulfill this great commission, um, that your will would be done on earth even as it is in heaven. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we began looking at this passage last week, and in many respects, this is the climax of Luke's gospel. Uh, The risen Lord has appeared to the disciples and removed all doubts. They are convinced he has opened their minds to understand the scripture in fact one of the ways you could look through these verses is in verse 44 Jesus speaks about how everything he has done everything he's doing is in scriptural fulfillment these words that i spoke to you while i was with you that everything written about me in the law of moses and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled and then we see Jesus give divine enablement For them to take their part in what is coming, he then opens their minds to understand the scripture. So first, everything Jesus has said and everything he's done and everything he's about to do is the fulfillment of scripture. He opens their minds to understand the scripture. And then we began looking thirdly at the biblical mission. What, What is it that needed to be done that needs to be accomplished? In verse forty-six, he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And we noted how strikingly Jesus summarizes here the entire Old Testament's teaching on the Messiah in three points. Everything must be fulfilled. And thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Now Luke's gospel up until this point has highlighted the first two of those three points. The Messiah has come and he has suffered. In one respect, his entire life and ministry is suffering um, the second person of the Godhead of the Trinity, for the first time ever, experiences pain, discomfort, starting at his birth all the way through his life, dealing with these disciples. But most specifically and importantly, his suffering on the cross. His suffering is predicted in passages like Isaiah 53, where he dies bearing the guilt of our sins, suffering under the very wrath of God. And and That is all in fulfillment of Scripture, and that has been meticulously recorded by Luke. The second, the messianic program, is that he must rise on the third day. And we have just seen that in this chapter. Luke 24 is the chapter in Luke's gospel of the resurrection. The Christ has gloriously risen. He is not dead. He is risen. And we saw Jesus... through through his sovereignty and his control over events, bring the disciples back together, bring them together with a unified confession. The Lord is risen. He's removed all doubts. And it's this third part of the Messianic program that we paid particular attention to last week and where we'll pick up this week. For Jesus himself has bodily fulfilled, accomplished, and completed The first two parts of this three-part program. He has suffered. It is done. It is finished. It will not be redone. It will not continue. He has suffered once for all. And he has risen. And again, since death no longer has any power over him, there will be no future rising or resurrection. This is accomplished, finished. We look backwards in time to the suffering of the Messiah and the resurrection of the Messiah. But this third part of the Old Testament's summary teaching on the Christ is ongoing even in our day. Uh, It it began with Jesus' ministry and it continues 2,000 years later to the very moment in time that we live. And what is that? But that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all Nations, A message must be proclaimed in his name. Now, if you turn back to Luke chapter 4, there is a sense in which Jesus himself began accomplishing this. Remember when Jesus first begins his public ministry, it's in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. Verse 16, immediately after Jesus returns from the wilderness with the spirit and in power, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went out to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, and the word Messiah means anointed to proclaim good news. I mean, we talked about how Jesus pro- had a proclamation of good news, and the word that we get gospel from is simply a translation of the Greek good news, euangelion. So the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus says, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who oppress, oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus, when he identifies himself as the Messiah, identifies himself chiefly as a preacher, as a herald. Now, this ministry in Isaiah involves two parts. There's an announcement, a proclamation seen in verse 18, seen in verse 19, and an accomplishment to set at liberty. So he's to announce the good news and he's to accomplish the good news. Jesus has done this. And so Jesus is a itinerant traveling preacher and where he goes, he preaches and teaches. He announces this good news. So the beginning of this proclamation was done in Jesus. But it's not completed by him personally. In fact, now if you turn to to the other end, to Acts chapter one, we commented on this last week, but Luke, in his sequel to his gospel in Acts, begins his dedication to Theophilus, his introduction to Theophilus this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. You think, okay, great, so this this book is the sequel, what Jesus is going to continue to do. And there's a very real sense in which that is true. Except Jesus bodily ascends into heaven in verse 9, 10, and 11. Jesus, in other words, is removed from the stage. Now, he'll appear when he appears to Paul, and he'll make appearances throughout the book of Acts. But by and large, the book of Acts is the acts of the apostles in the early church, empowered and motivated by the Holy Spirit. And the point I'm trying to make back in Luke is this. Jesus himself personally, individually, without any help, accomplished the first two parts of this Messianic summary. He himself suffered. He himself rose. But this proclamation, while it was begun by him, and then extended by him as he sent out the 12 and then the 70, is something that will not be finished and fulfilled by him bodily, Except it will be fulfilled by him in his body, the church. We get a role in this. And so it demands our attention. Um, This great work of salvation, we play a role in. We participate in. We have that privilege. And so we started last week looking at what is this message. And it's a message summarized by two key topics. Repentance And forgiveness of sins. And I spent some time last week talking about repentance. And how that fits alongside of faith. And it's really the flip side of one coin. Repentance looking at what you're turning from. Faith what you're turning to. And so this is the message. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And again, turn over to Acts chapter 2. You'll see this very thing begin. This very thing began in Acts chapter 2. Jesus predicted it. It's going to begin in Jerusalem. And what do we see in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit is poured out on the twelve, and the disciples gathered with them. They draw a crowd as they speak in other languages. Peter stands up. He preaches the good news, a message about Christ. In verse 37, Now when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And in fulfillment of what Jesus said, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. Peter has a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the book of Acts plays that out. So Jesus announces this third portion and the book of Acts. is going to show that continuation. Um, We'll show that continuation. And so... That, that is the message we're to proclaim. And I, and I sort of tried to close last week with that challenge. Is as you share the gospel, as you speak the words of life to others, would a fair summary of the message you give be a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? Because Jesus summarizes all of the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts that way. Jesus himself is quite emphatic in Luke 13. Um, Verse 3 and in verse 5, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Um, This is a key and critical component to gospel proclamation. It's how Jesus summarizes the message going forth. It's content, repentance, and forgiveness of sins. But I want to pick up now um, the next point, the extent, the extent and this is the, the shocking bit, I think, for Jesus' disciples. Even as Jesus announces it here, and even as Jesus has opened their minds to understand, the book of Acts will show the apostles in the early church really wrestling with coming to grips with the reality of what Jesus says in those simple words, to all nations. And that's the extent this message is proclaimed. Okay, how far? The people of Israel, the people of Judea, people of the Sinai Peninsula, the people of Asia, no, to all peoples, literally all nations. And of course, this really ties back, all the way back, to the initial promise of God to Abraham. What did God say to Abraham in Genesis twelve three? But I will bless you, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the, the promise of salvation given to Abraham is also a promise that all nations, all peoples will be blessed through this promise. And Jesus insists this part as well is predicted in the Old Testament. In fact, turn, turn back to Psalm 22. We looked at Psalm 22 briefly last week. It's, of course, this is the Psalm Jesus quotes Suffering on the cross, beginning with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me in the words of my groaning? And in the first, ooh, um, the first 20 or so verses, the psalmist is laying out his grief and his complaint and his suffering, but then it begins to turn, because Psalm 22 also predicts the vindication of the Messiah. Um, Let's pick it up in verse 25. Same song. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. So even Psalm 22, where it depicts, David prophetically depicts the sufferings of the Messiah on the cross, concludes with, all the ends of the earth shall remember. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. So the, the, the Old Testament indeed not only predicts the Messiah's sufferings, not only predicts the Messiah's resurrection, but it predicts this gospel going out to all nations, to all nations, the extent all nations. And this means, then, that there's a significant change in God's program of salvation. Now, what hasn't changed is the conditions. We are saved by faith. The author of Hebrews shows example after example after example in chapter 11 of men of faith. Abraham believed God and was justified. We are made right, credited, righteous by trusting in what God has said, most specifically now in the New Covenant, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done. That has not changed. But one of the significant things that did change here, and here's your first point, is Israel was formerly to draw the nations to the Lord. In the Old Covenant, it was a come see sort of thing, so God... Dwelt on Mount Zion. Solomon built a temple. The queen of Sheba comes and marvels. Foreigners come and they marvel. They come to Israel. They hear of this great nation. Deuteronomy says the other nations will hear and say, Who is this great people who has such a wise law? And so the nations were invited to be saved, but the nations had to become Israelites. So we've got what's called a proselyte. In the Messianic line, you've got two of them. Rahab, who is a Canaanite, but she doesn't remain a Canaanite. She becomes part of the people of Israel. And you've got Ruth, a Moabitess, who does not remain a Moabitess, but she becomes an Israelite. So the nations are welcome in, but they're welcome to leave their national identity and become part of Israel. Place himself under the law of Moses. Now, that's going to change in the gospel proclamation in the new covenant. Because whereas Israel was formerly to draw the nations to the Lord, now Jesus will send them out. That's the big contrast. You could sort of, this is an oversimplification, but you could view onto the old covenant in Israel, there was this sort of come and see motif. Come and see the glories of the temple. Come and see the wisdom of Solomon. And now it's Go tell. That's one of the reasons why it's it's good to invite your unbelieving neighbor to church. But that's not evangelism. Evangelism is telling, going out and telling. By all means, invite your friends to church. But, But the model of the New Testament is the going out. Going out. Jesus now will send them out. Jesus will now send them out. And and this is something the early church is going to wrestle with because as they go out to proclaim this news and it's no longer come to Israel, the, the question the early church has to deal with is do these converts still then have to become sort of Israelite? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to place themselves under the law of Moses? And it won't really be until about Acts 15 that the early church really sort of works this out. This is the shocking good news God is not a respecter of persons. The gospel transcends national identity. God is intent on glorifying himself with a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Let Let me just show you in Acts how Acts highlights this. Go back to Acts chapter 1. And Jesus, in verse 8, will give the program that the rest of the book of Acts will follow. In verse 8, Jesus says this to them of chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there's the program. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we saw in Acts 2 Beginning in Jerusalem, Peter preaching the gospel, a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jerusalem. Turn to Acts 8. You can remember our very own Mitchell McClure, um, looking at the first example of, of the gospel, now going out to Samaria in chapter 8. And the Samaritans are serve sort of the half-Jewish people, which is part of the reason why I think the Ethiopian eunuchs included as well. Um, it's, it's entirely possible. We know actually genetically that there are descendants of the Israelites in Ethiopia. It's, it's, people have speculated whether Solomon and the Queen of Sheba had a marriage or some, something going on there. But this eunuch is a proselyte. He's got Jewish scriptures. He's, he's identified himself in some sense as a follower of the Jewish God. And in Acts chapter 8, you see, verse, starting in verse 4, Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria. Verse 26, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuchs, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, and out in chapter 10. Peter goes to the first full-on Gentile, even though he's still a God-fearer, Cornelius. And, and, and look at the amazement of the early church in chapter 11. So Peter returns to Jerusalem to tell them what happened. Verse 15 of chapter 11. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could not stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance. That leads to life. they're amazed at this, that the gospel is going out freely to Gentiles, like most of you and me. And so that is predicted in the Old Testament, and that is the mission that Jesus began himself, He handed off to his apostles, and the church has been endeavoring to participate in ever since. I want to make one or two other comments about this message. Um, we talked about repentance, Well let's, let's take a look at forgiveness of sins briefly. The, the message that we are to proclaim, the message that the must-go-forth that is necessary is fundamentally a message about ver- vertical reconciliation with God. It is not first and foremost a message about social change or social justice or economics Or an ethical code or a way of living. Oh, it may have those implications. I believe where the gospel grows, its fruit will be a greater love brother to brother, man to man. There will be more justice in the society. I believe it'll have economic implications as well. This is a message about fundamentally how can I be forgiven by God? How can I be made right with God? That is the hallmark of this message. It's in Christ's name, which means it's about Jesus. It's in his name only. The the book of Acts is emphatic on this point. There are not many ways to God. This message about Jesus, in his name, fundamentally deals with the problem of my sin before a holy God and how I can be forgiven. First and foremost, that is the gospel gospel. Oh, there are there implications and entailments to the gospel? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that is the crux and center of the message that will be proclaimed in Christ's name a message of repentance and forgiveness in his name to all the nations. To all the nations. Jesus adds one other point beginning in Jerusalem. Beginning in Jerusalem. So we've looked at the content of the message. Repentance and forgiveness. It's extent to all nations. Now it's Advent. It will have a Genesis. It'll have a beginning point. It'll have a place of inception. Which will be Jerusalem. And this partly answers the issue of, of the transition from an Israeli-centric message where people are invited to come to join with Israel to now the gospel going out. You can remain a Moabite. You can remain a Canaanite. You can remain an American or Canadian, or British, whatever you, you can remain those things. Becoming a Christian doesn't eliminate those things. It transcends those things, but it doesn't eliminate those realities. There is no geopolitical center to God's working on earth. We remain in our nations Well, does that mean then that Israel is completely um, cast aside and said, no, there's a priority and a privilege to the Jewish people and specifically to the city of Jerusalem. Let's first look at its priority under Advent, priority to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is how the apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, understood his apostleship. Mm. The book of Romans in his thesis in verse 16 he says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And here's the point. That the people of Israel, even though the gospel, is a, is a level playing field. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. You, you don't have any leg up by being from any genetic background, from any people, from any tribe. Every people, every tribe is welcome. None are privileged. Yet, the oracles of God were given first to the Jewish people. The promises of salvation by which we are saved are Jewish promises. Our Savior is a Jewish Savior. And so there's a priority. All of this salvation comes from the promises God gave to, the Savior God raised up to, the people of Israel. And so it's fitting that Jerusalem is where the proclamation begins, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. As, as Paul would go from town to town, he would first go to the synagogues, showing that same priority of, of the Jews in his gospel preaching. And second, privilege. The gospel will sp- spread from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. God has always intended to bless all the peoples of the earth through Abraham. And and so this this gospel and this message about the Messiah spreads. It spreads from Jerusalem. All of the early church, all of the earliest evangelists were Jewish. And so this great work of proclamation and salvation that God is enacting begins with, spreads out from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And again, the book of Acts will record this. Now, we'll go far and wide in the book of Acts. Paul will go out to, to Greece and to Asia Minor. The gospel will go to the ends of the earth, according to Jesus. But it begins in Jerusalem. It begins in Jerusalem. So Jesus, again, summarizes the entire Old Testament teaching about the Messiah with three points. Verse 46. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer. On the third day, rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, of course, in our day and age, the gospel has spread out and reached many corners of the earth, not all of them, not all of them. But we get to share in this privilege. So I I just pause before we move forward and and make sure we've got the right message. The message isn't first and foremost, about how to have a better life out of a better marriage. The, the message first and foremost is, is you can be at peace with God. You can be forgiven your sins in the name of Jesus. That, that's the language of the book of Acts. Over and over and over again in his name, you can be forgiven. In fact, there's no other name under heaven and earth by which men must be saved. And it's a message that demands real Faith. What can be, trans? um, they can just easily swap in repentance. We saw that even in Acts 11. Remember, Peter said God gave the Spirit to them when they believed just as we did. There's belief. Interpretation by the Jerusalem church. Well, then God's granted repentance to the Gentiles as well. Well, Peter didn't say they repented. He said they believed. Well, yeah, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. That's the message that's to everyone, We're not to privilege any particular people group. All are welcome. All are invited. God's purpose is that this message of forgiveness of sins to those who will come near in repentant faith is for all peoples, beginning in Jerusalem. Now, finally, we're going to see point four, the Great Commission. So Jesus, up to this point, has told them, remember, First, scriptural fulfillment. Everything I've said, these are my words that I've said, that everything written about me must be fulfilled. Everything has been according to plan. Everything has been predicted, and everything necessarily must happen. Second, you're going to need to understand the scriptures. If you're going to see that, he says to them, if you're going to properly play your role, you need to understand the scriptures. He opens their minds. And then, with open minds, he lays out to them this three-point mission, Christ must suffer, the Christ must rise, and the message must be proclaimed. And now we get to his commissioning. His commissioning. Perhaps they may think at this point, the risen Messiah will stay and personally travel around now the whole world, just as he did previously. I mean, we, we know what comes next. We know about the ascension, but perhaps they're thinking, okay, we're now going to follow Jesus, not just around Israel, but around the whole world as Jesus proclaims this message. No. You are witnesses of these things, he says. You are witnesses of these things. So Great Commission, point one, the disciples will be the witnesses to these things. The disciples will be witnesses to these things. Um, the Greek word for witness is the, sa- is the word we get martyr from. Because in the early church, those who witnessed faithfully were frequently put to death, so a martyr was one who had faithfully witnessed and confessed Christ to death. The disciples will be witnesses to these things. Again, as we go back and forth in Acts, to Acts chapter 1, Jesus repeats that same commissioning there. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And again, they're not preaching themselves or their good ideas. They're preaching what they've seen and the fulfillment of Scripture that has occurred in Jesus. They are witnesses. In Acts 5.32, again, we hear this. Um, Here's Peter preaching. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So I think Luke wants us to see verses 46 and 47 as the program, the mission. And then we're to understand it's these men primarily who in the book of Acts will begin to accomplish that third part of the biblical mission. The disciples will be witnesses to these things. And they will, according to church history, to a man other than John, Faithfully witnessed to death. Now, Jesus has already equipped them in understanding the scriptures so they could see the necessity of these things. Now he is going to equip them for the work that they must do moving forward. Jesus will further equip them with the promise from the Father. Jesus will further equip them with the promise. From the Father, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What are we What are we talking about here? Well, first they need to wait in Jerusalem. Even though he's just announced this message will go to all the nations, he wants them to wait in Jerusalem. Why is that? They're not ready for the work yet. And one of the points here is that. It's the Holy Spirit, and that's what Jesus, who Jesus is talking about, that they need to wait for. The Holy Spirit is the one who will enable them to do this. It will not be in their own strength. It will not be in their own wisdom. It will not be in their own strategies that they get this work done. It will be in the power of the Spirit whom God supplies. And so Jesus tells them, yes, there's this great work to be done. There's this biblical necessity that this message must be preached. You yourselves will be the ones preaching. You'll be the witnesses to this. But you need to wait. You're not ready to do it now. I will send the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, that reference of power from on high is a reference to Isaiah thirty-two fifteen, where the prophet says, "Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high." It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. See, one member of the Trinity will depart—the Son—and the third, the Spirit, will come and inhabit His people. And, and Jesus elsewhere says, "It's to our advantage that He departs, for when He departs, He sends the Comforter. He sends the Spirit." And again, the book of Acts makes this abundantly clear. In in chapter 2, they await his coming. They wait. What happens? Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit came upon them, and it's in that power of that Spirit that they move forward and turn the world upside down. Not their own strength, their own power. So what Jesus is saying is you're not ready for this task, you're not ready for this job, you're not equipped for it. So wait, wait until you receive the promise from the Father. The Holy Spirit is, is a gift and sent both by the Father and the Son. The Scripture speaks with both ways. Jesus sends the Spirit. Here He refers to the Spirit as the promise of my Father. And the rest of the book of Acts records how in the power of the Holy Spirit, these men stood and spoke to kings and rulers, how thousands were converted. And the Pharisees marvel that they're just fishermen after all. How are they doing this? And Luke wants us to see clearly that any meaningful gospel ministry is accomplished only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the book of Acts, in my Bible, is titled The Acts of the Apostles. I think it would be far better titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit. So here's, here's one last amazing reality for us, though, and I want, I want to end our time thinking about. Everything that was accomplished in the book of Acts was accomplished by these men in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and by Paul. When born out of time, the Apostle Paul, let's not forget him. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, peoples, entire towns and villages, thousands of people came to faith in, in preaching. In towns, churches were planted. Um, idol worship was, was thrown into havoc. Economies were thrown off kilter because people weren't buying idols anymore. All of that took place in the power of the Spirit through these men. And here's your third point. That same Spirit is given to all who repent and believe. That's not just some special empowerment that Jesus gave to the 11, but it's to every one of us. Go to follow the flow in Acts 2. So in Acts 2, they were gathered at Pentecost And suddenly there came upon them from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, verse 2. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled to the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this, of course, draws a crowd. And a large crowd gathers. And then Peter stands up. By, by the way, the gift of languages, I think it's unhelpful they translate it tongues. They translate it tongues because the King James translated the tongue back when you spoke your mother tongue. Glossolalia, the Greek, means language or it can mean the organ of speech, the tongue. It's not a special um, word. They spoke in other languages. The other languages was not to preach the gospel in other tongues. They, they praised God in other languages and that drew a crowd and then one man, Peter, in one language, Greek, possibly Hebrew, spoke and 3,000 people came to faith. The tongues gathered the crowd. The Speaking in other languages gathered the crowd so one man in one language could preach one sermon which thousands were converted by. And so after preaching the good news of Jesus to them and and of his sufferings and of his resurrection. And Peter does that. We're not going to read through the entire chapter 2. I just want to focus where he ends. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And there's the message that Jesus said to be preached. Look what he also adds. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received His word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So here's the point I want you to understand. This great biblical, predicted work is still taking place around us. The gospel is still going forward. Uh, and we have the exact same equipment given to the apostles. We have the same, go to, go, to, go to 1 Corinthians 12. We have the exact same spirit. Paul is emphatic on this point. Now, in, in differing gifts and in a differing measures and in a differing services, certainly. But I want you to see this, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts with the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members are one body, so though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, all made to drink of one spirit. If you're a Christian, if you are one who has bent your knee, turned in repentance and faith to Jesus, Then you have been baptized by the Spirit, and you, according to verse 7, have been given a manifestation of the Spirit. And the purpose for that is the common good, not your own edification. You've been equipped for ministry and service in the great work of God of discipling the nations. You have the exact same Spirit given to the apostles in Acts Two, that same mission and commission, that same prophetic must be fulfilledness of the Old Testament is taking place now. If anything, we have far more resources than the apostles did. Both we have our own Bibles; they certainly didn't. We have mass transit. We have books. We we have so many other things. Now, the critical the critical tools are the same. God's spirit, the ability to read and understand the scripture. So I think we have no excuse but to be faithful in speaking the words of life to our neighbor. Not everyone's called to go to foreign lands, but all of us are called to speak the words of life, to season our words with salt, to know how to give an answer to those who ask for the hope that is within us. And all of us should feel the burden of that weight. These things must be fulfilled. And we have the same set of equipment. We have the same resources, the same gifts, and the same mandate. Thus it is written... Christ should suffer and on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and I might add in, but continuing in Martinsdale, and Los Angeles, and New York, and Laos, and every other place where God's people gather calling on his name. This is, this is the great purpose, that we have the tremendous privilege of participating in God's great work of salvation. We have no participation in Christ's sufferings. The only part you play, the only role you and I play in Christ's sufferings is providing the sin that he has to suffer for. That's the only role we play. The only contribution we make in that aspect is our sin, to be born by him. We play no role in the resurrection of the Christ. But in this third and final piece We have the immense privilege of according to... Go to 2 Corinthians 5. We'll close on 2 Corinthians 5. This is my favorite imagery. My favorite imagery of of the gospel, ministry, and evangelism. Um, So what Paul says is what God has done in Christ is a game changer. It changes everything. Verse 16... Because of Christ's death, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5.16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Everyone likes to quote that verse. This is a verse about evangelism. Not viewing people the same way you used to view them. Not being impressed by what impresses the world. But viewing them, that person is an eternal being who will never not be, who will either spend eternity with God in heaven or in hell. I, I think that's what Paul saying. We don't look at people the same way anymore. We don't think, oh, that person's rich, that person's wise, that person's influential. There's an image bearer of God heading for eternity. All things have become new. You see, that, that's, that's the all things become new. I see the world differently. You see the world differently because all things have become new because there's this gospel. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us. That means us. You can't just, that just means Paul and his traveling band. Us. In verse 18, at the beginning, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us. If you're part of the reconciled group, you're part of that second us as well. He reconciled us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ, God, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, same us, The message of reconciliation. So there's a ministry of reconciliation, verse 18. And that ministry of reconciliation is carried out by the proclamation of the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because we have this ministry, because we have this message, we are ambassadors for Christ. And here's the the amazing piece. When we will be faithful to open our mouths and the opportunities we have, God, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. If we're being faithful to this, God himself is speaking through you, pleading with others to be reconciled. I mean, how awesome is that? Of course, that works as his spirit is moving us. God himself appealing through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sins. That in him, we would become the righteousness of God. We have the same tools. We have the same mandate. We have the same commission. And we have the same Old Testament scriptures that must be fulfilled. And if you get this, it changes everything. And all things become new. I'm going to call the worship team up for our closing song. Let's sing, Thank You, Jesus.